war. It's not pretty, and it's not fun. It's painful, it's gory, and the stakes are always high. See, in war, victory always comes at a cost. The inescapable reality, however, is that we are caught in a world at war. Two kingdoms colliding as they wage war for the right to rule over every individual, every home, and every nation, though the outcome of victory is already determined by one side. See, one kingdom is a kingdom of freedom, of hope, and of life. The other kingdom is a kingdom of bondage, pain, and death. See, we cannot run and we cannot hide, but we can choose for which side we want to fight. Now, some of you might have figured out by now that I'm not talking about war in the natural. Though, yes, that happens, and yes, I do believe that there is a spiritual element to that as well. But rather, I'm talking about war in the spiritual realm. See, the kingdom of freedom, hope, and life is the kingdom of God. Whereas the kingdom of bondage, pain, and death is the kingdom of darkness. And see, whether we like it or not, as people, we're engaged every day in combat with a very real enemy who wishes to annihilate and derail the life of every single individual. And I'm not sure why, but it seems like in Canada and North America in general, sometimes the spiritual side or the spiritual realm is dismissed or brushed off simply because things aren't always as visible here as they are in other nations, in nations in places like Africa, places like Asia, even the Middle East. But the reality is, is that the enemy is real, and we are caught up in a very real war spiritually. John 10.10, Jesus is speaking, and he says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, church, the enemy's purpose is to destroy, steal, and kill. But the reality is, is that Jesus always brings life abundantly. See, through Jesus, we can live in hope rather than fear and death. And we can actually hold the victory, not because of us or because of the things that we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And yes, while we are caught up in a war spiritually, the reality is as believers, as people who call themselves sons and daughters of the living God, we don't actually need to be afraid of the enemy. We do, however, I believe, need to be aware and alert to the tactics of the enemy. And like soldiers in the natural who are trained and equipped and who learn how to fight, because in the spirit, we are soldiers for the kingdom of God. In the spirit, we also need to learn. We also need to be equipped and trained in how to fight in the spirit so that when the enemy does try to attack us, we know how to recognize it. We know how to wage war and engage spiritually in battle in a manner that's actually effective. 
And so one of the things that I think in order to learn how to actually fight in the spirit that we need to understand is who our enemy actually is. See, it's important to understand when engaging spiritually in battle that the fight is not with people. See, so often situations can arise or we can go through things, right, at work, at school, um, even with family. And because we get hurt or we get offended, we end up thinking that the individual or the individuals that are involved are our enemy, but really they're not. See, scripture is clear that there are always spiritual forces at work. Ephesians 6, verse 12, says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. See, I believe that once we actually know and realize that the enemy is not those around us, it's not our siblings, it's not our parents, it's not our spouse, it's not our coworkers, it's not our boss. Once we realize this, then we're able to more effectively war and fight for the kingdom of God and for those around us. Now you might be thinking, okay, that's cool, the fight, fight is not with people, but how do we actually fight? Well, let's take a look at Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. See, church, when it comes to fighting spiritually against the enemy, I believe that the first way that we fight is with truth. John 17, 17, Jesus is actually praying, and he says, Your word is truth, so make them holy by the truth. See, truth is not dictated by opinion. Truth is actually unchanging because God is unchanging. Both Hebrews and Malachi mention that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And we can actually know what is and isn't truth 
by the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Numbers 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man. He doesn't lie. God isn't the son of a man to want to take back what he said or say something and not follow through or speak and not act on it. Psalm 33, verse 4 says, For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. See, church, the enemy hates truth. And the reality is, is that if the enemy can get someone to believe a lie, then he will, because then that means that he can keep that individual in bondage and chains. And when we actually buy into the lies of the enemy, then that means that we're no longer walking in the full freedom that we were called to as sons and daughters of the Most High, which then in turn affects how we fight and how we operate in the spirit as believers. And then on top of that, when we buy into the lies of the enemy, not only are we not walking in freedom as we should, but then we also don't operate in the full authority that God has called us to and given us as his children in that area that we're struggling with and that we've allowed the enemy to take a hold of. See, the reality is, is that the enemy would love nothing more than to keep us in chains because then he knows we aren't a threat to his kingdom. See, something I've noticed over the years walking with people and doing life is that often when God sets us free from an area, and as long as we're willing and available, I love that we sang that song talking about being available to what God wants to do. But God often uses the broken parts of our past that he sets us free from to reach and speak other, to other people. And we do this through what's called our testimony, which is just a fancy word to say our story of what God has brought us through. And when we share what God has done in our lives and how God has redeemed us from the past and from our pain, how he's broken the chains in our life, often what happens is God uses that to speak to the people around us and to help other people who are struggling with the things that we've struggled with get free as well. And so it starts this like a chain reaction in the spirit where people are set free. So if the enemy knows that he can keep us bound and trapped in chains, it means that we're not a threat to the kingdom, his kingdom. And personally, in my own life, I recently experienced this myself. See, lately the Lord has been leading me to uh, read different books and things like that and the Lord led me to a book um, on fear and about doing things afraid because I realized that over the course of my life that there were some areas that I had been held by, captive, by fear for years, years and years and years. And I, I wasn't actually fully aware of how deep some of this stuff was in my own heart and my own life until I started working through this book. Now, I'm still reading this book, and uh, I've actually had to take breaks from it because <laughs> it's been painful, which just a side note, sometimes when the Lord sets us free from things, um, it can be a painful process, but um, through the pain, uh, we receive healing, 
And it's better to go through the pain of working through it with the Lord so that we can walk in freedom and healing rather than staying bound and walking through that pain of being bound over the course of our lives. But I had bought into some lies of the enemy. And it actually, um, buying into some of these lies had actually allowed fear to creep into my heart and life to the point that I was actually almost paralyzed by fear. To the point that I was actually afraid to step forward and move forward in some of the areas and the things that God was calling me to because I had allowed um, fear to creep in because I had uh, believed the lies of the enemy. Which brings me to the next point is that sometimes when we realize that there are areas in our lives where we've bought into the lies of the enemy and we begin actually partnering with the Lord and working through it with the Lord and we're warring and we're starting to see breakthrough and victory in that area, it's almost like sometimes it seems like the attacks get stronger or more intense in that area that we're working through. And sometimes it's like, man, like I thought I was getting through this. Like where is this coming from? But this, I believe, is because the enemy wishes to keep us entrapped so that we don't walk in the victory and the authority that Christ has given us. See, the reality is, is that if the enemy can keep us distracted by looking at our circumstance, by looking at our pain, by looking at us instead of looking at Jesus then he can keep us from walking out in the things that Christ has called us to, from walking out in the freedom and victory that is part of our inheritance as the children of God. And sometimes when these attacks happen, it means that um, breakthrough is coming, the victory that we need is coming, but the enemy is afraid because when the sons and daughters of the living God walk in freedom and healing, then chains break. So the enemy is afraid and he tries to prevent us from walking in freedom. But church, we fight back by keeping our eyes on the Lord, by declaring the word of the Lord over us, by declaring God's promises and by declaring his truth. John eight forty four, Jesus is speaking and he says, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the things, the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. See, the enemy is known as the father of lies. But in contrast, the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of the living God, which lives in us when we accept Christ into our hearts and become a Christian, See, the Holy Spirit is known as the Spirit of Truth. John 6, sorry, 16, 13, Jesus is actually talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, when the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, church, when we stand and we declare the promises and the word of the Lord over ourselves, when we declare God's truth in the face of the enemy's lies, then the enemy cannot stand. Ephesians 4 verse 27 says, And do not give the devil a foothold. James 4 verse 7 says, So humble yourselves before God, 
resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, years ago, I was uh, hearing a pastor preach and he said this phrase, give the devil an inch and he wants to be ruler. Um, give the devil an inch and he wants to be ruler, meaning when we allow compromise into our lives by believing lies of the enemy, then very soon the enemy starts to take over other areas. And we begin to compromise in other areas. And we become even more bound and even more entrapped. But when we stand and we declare the promises and the word of the Lord, and we don't allow the enemy to take a foothold in our lives, then the enemy has to leave. When it comes to fighting in the spirit, I believe that the next way that we fight is with faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. See, I believe faith actually guards us from the lies and the attacks of the enemy. But not only that, through faith we're actually empowered to fight the enemy. Hebrews 11, verse 30 to 34, says, Faith pulled down Jericho's walls after the people marched around them for seven days. Faith provided a way of escape for Rahab the prostitute, avoiding the destruction of the unbelievers because she received the Hebrew spies in peace. And what more could I say to convince you? For there's not enough time to tell you of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. It was faith that shut the mouths of lions, put out the power of raging fire, and caused many to escape certain death by the sword. Although weak, their faith imparted power to make them strong. Faith sparked courage within them, and they became mighty warriors in battle, pulling armies from another realm into battle array. See, through faith, I believe we actually partner with God to fight against the lies of the enemy and receive the promises that God has declared over us. See, through faith, we can fight and actually push the enemy back through things like doubt, fear, anxiety, because it's the Holy Spirit who works in us, empowers us, and leads us in truth. John 8, 32 says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, the reality is, that declaring the truth of God's word and choosing to stand in faith, because I do believe faith is a choice, especially when you're standing in the midst of a circumstance or a situation, and it doesn't make sense in the natural, we choose to have faith, right? Scripture talks about we walk by faith and not by sight. But by choosing to declare the truth of God's word and standing in faith, it always brings freedom. When it comes to fighting spiritually, against the enemy, I believe another way we fight is with the word of God, which is also known as scripture, which is also known as our Bibles, okay? So Ephesians 6, which we read earlier, 
actually calls the word of God the sword of the spirit. And through the word of God, through scripture, we can actually gauge what's truth and what's not. It sets the standard for living. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. See, knowing the word of God actually protects us, and it helps us wage war against the enemy. Because I believe it can expose the lies that we've bought into that aren't truth. But it also helps us fight back when the enemy does try to twist the truth. And I mean, if you think of a soldier in the natural, I'm going to use the soldier analogy um, because we're soldiers for the kingdom of God. But if you think of a soldier in the natural or even in the medieval times when they used things like swords, well... If they didn't know how to use it, they couldn't fight very effectively. And in the same way in the spirit, I believe that we cannot actually fight the enemy if we don't know the word of God, if we don't know what's actually written in this book. This is why as people who call themselves believers, people who call themselves Christians, it's important for us to actually read our Bibles and get the truth of the word of God down into us. Now, this became very real to me when I was in high school. Um, so the high school that I attended was a very big high school. It was around 2,000 students. I can't remember what grade I was in, but I do remember I was on student council at the time. It was a public school, so it wasn't like a Christian school or anything like that. And um, every year at the end of the year, student council, in partnership with the school, would host this year-end carnival. Um, so they would get, like, inflatables, and they would have, like, little food kiosks, and it was just, like, it was a whole thing. Um, but it was always a lot of fun. And I remember one year, the student council, we were trying to decide, well, what can we get this year that's, like, cool or different? Because that's, I feel like every student council wants to be unique in some way, so they try to do something cool. Um, and somebody suggested, well, we should get a palm reader. And I was, like, not for it because there is a demonic spiritual element to that um and so i was like yeah i'm not feeling this like i don't think it's a good idea um but i was one of the only few christians on student council at the time so i got outvoted um and they decided to get this palm reader and uh i was a little fearful so fear went back even then high school um and so i was a little bit fearful and i was like Ugh, like i don't want to deal with this and i remember the day actually came so everything was set up um, my friend who was on student council came and she was like, okay, like it's really great. Palm reader's already here. She's set up at the front of the school and uh, yeah, everything is good to go. And so in my head as a Christian, I was like, I don't want to go anywhere near the front of the school because I don't want to have to deal with something. Like I'm just a student. Um, I'm not a pastor or anything. And I knew there was like something spiritual going on. So I was like, I'm just going to hang out on the other side of the school um, and I will do what I need to for student council and for the event on the other side of the school. But what ended up happening was something, um, I think, like, we needed something restocked or something like that. And so I was basically, um, it was delegated to me to go and find the teacher. And so I, it's big school, so I was running around 
trying to find her, and I was asking around, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's in the front of the school by this palm reader. So in my head, I was like, oh, shoot. Like, I don't want to go anywhere near there, but I don't have a choice. So I go, and as I'm walking, I'm just praying. And as, as I'm walking further up to the front of the school, I can feel that there's, like, some demonic presence in the front of the school. And I'm just like, oh, no. Um, and I was like, I don't want to have to deal with this. So then I find the teacher, and uh, lo and behold, she's standing, like, right here. And that's maybe the table where the palm reader is. So she's very close, and she has her back turned. And I was just like, oh, no. So I walk up, and I um, was kind of keeping my the corner of my eye on this lady because I was like, I don't know like if something's going to happen or what. Um, and as soon as I kind of stepped up and started talking with the teacher, this lady, she was just like all like nonchalant, like whatever. And as soon as I stepped up and started talking, she snapped her head over at me. Her head went to the side, and her face kind of went slack. And instantly in that moment, there was a verse that dropped into my heart into my spirit and it was greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world and in that moment I didn't fear and I do believe that yes there was a demonic thing going on there um, but the reality is as believers we don't need to be fearful because um, the enemy can't stand in the presence of the Lord and I mean as Christians when we have the Holy Spirit we have the spirit of the living God in us um, which is why I think she had that reaction but the reality is is if I didn't actually know scripture, if I didn't know any verses, then in that moment, I wouldn't have been able to fight back with the fear that I was feeling in that moment. And it was only by knowing the word of God and having that verse, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, that the Holy Spirit was able to bring it up and call it back to mind. But I wouldn't have been equipped if I didn't know the word of God. And you know, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus actually does the same thing. See, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is actually led into the wilderness. And then Satan comes and tries to tempt him. And what does Jesus do? Well, he fights back with the truth of Scripture. But here's the thing. Satan actually knows Scripture too. Matthew 4, verse 5 to 7 says, Then the devil took him, him being Jesus, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him again, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, the enemy is really crafty and I think he's sometimes smarter than we give him credit for but Jesus was able to actually fight back with scripture because he knew what was written in the word of God and as believers by not actually taking the time to familiarize ourselves with the weapon that is the word of God I believe we actually make ourselves vulnerable to the enemy and in addition to this we don't just make ourselves vulnerable but we become a liability if we think about a soldier in the natural, well, it would be pretty dangerous, both to them personally and the people around them, if they didn't actually know how to handle their weapons. And in the spirit, in the same way, I believe that by us not taking the time to learn and actually know what's in our Bibles, we can become a liability 
to ourselves and those around us because then we either mishandle or misrepresent the word of God, which then in turn affects our ability to be able to fight back when the enemy attacks. When it comes to fighting in the spirit, I believe another way that we fight is with prayer. Now, prayer is one of those things that I think sometimes we can tend to over-mystify or over-complicate, right? We think it's like, well, I have to use the biggest words that I can think of, and like, if I pray, it has to be like an hour and a half to two hours minimum. Doesn't, FYI. Prayer is really just a conversation with God, but it's also one of the biggest weapons, I believe, that we can use in warfare against the enemy to fight and to intercede for those and those around us, or for ourselves and those around us. And I know I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Prayer is the key to everything. See, when we pray, the Holy Spirit actually leads us into what we should say when we war and intercede. Romans 8.26 says, And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty, to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for. But the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. See, when we pray, we need to be active and alert. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ephesians 6 verse 18 says, Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. If we think of soldiers in the natural, I think we can all agree that they need to be alert, right? Like if you have a soldier that's on duty or a soldier that's um, going to be protecting you, nobody wants a sleepy soldier watching over them, a soldier who falls asleep on the job. Because the reality is, is that if they fall asleep, then that puts them at risk to be either injured or killed. But not only that, it also puts their fellow uh, cohort their fellow troops also at risk of being injured or killed. And church, I believe in the spirit, it's the same with us. We cannot afford to be a people who are complacent or sleepy when it comes to the things of the spirit. We need to be a people of prayer who are willing to actually stand watch and intercede for those around us when the enemy tries to attack. Nehemiah 4 is a passage that the Lord keeps bringing me to over and over again. And just for a little bit of context, in Nehemiah, what ends up happening in the previous chapters is basically the wall around Jerusalem was destroyed by the enemy. And so there's this guy, Nehemiah, who's actually a cupbearer for a king in a faraway land, and he's so just like burdened by hearing that Jerusalem is basically uh, rubble, that the wall is broken. And so he asks the king for permission to go and help rebuild. And the king grants him permission. And so Nehemiah then gathers the people of God 
and they begin to rebuild. But as they're rebuilding the wall, the enemy, the opposition comes and begins trying to plant lies, begins trying to intimidate the people of God in order to hinder and discourage them from building that which they're called to build and repair. And in Nehemiah 4, it actually gets to a point where the people are so afraid of being attacked by the enemy because the enemy has been relentless that in the lowest parts of the wall where the people were the most vulnerable to attack, Nehemiah actually stations the people by their families. Nehemiah 4, verse 13 to 14, it says, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, this is Nehemiah speaking, in open places I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. See, I think it's a remarkable thing that in this passage when the in enemy comes to try and intimidate and distract the people of God to make them look at the circumstance by saying hey uh, there's too much rubble you guys can't do this you know what what are you guys building if you build this it's not going to be like it's going to fall apart trying to intimidate and cause the people to look at the cir circumstance Nehemiah actually comes alongside the people of God and he reminds them to look up to keep their eyes on the Lord to stand in the gap and fight. And actually, I think it's in chapter 5, if you read ahead, where it actually says then after that point, the people built in such a way that in one hand they had their tools for building the wall, but in the other hand they had their weapons. And they stayed on guard to the point that like they didn't even change their clothes or anything. They just worked. And church, in the same way, I believe that we, as the people of God, are also called to stand in the gap, to fight and war in the spirit on behalf of our families, on behalf of our church, on behalf of our community, armed with things like prayer, armed with things like the word of God, armed with things like our faith. See, I believe that if we actually want to be a people that sees others set free from the chains that bind them, if we want to see people walk in freedom and victory, not just ourselves, but the people around us, then prayer is essential. We need to be a people of prayer. Lastly, I believe that another way to fight back and wage war against the enemy is through salvation. See, I mentioned in the beginning that there's a little bit of a problem with war, and that is that victory always comes at a high cost. And see, in our case, the cost was a life exchanged for a life. It was Jesus exchanged on the cross in the place where we should have been in order to save us from our own sin. Because the reality is, is that we're all sinful. In Romans, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the reality. We're all sinful. We're all broken to some degree or another, which is why... Um, nothing that we could ever do could be good enough. Nothing that we could ever do or could ever say could measure up, which is why Jesus had to die for you and I. See, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. 
He was the son of God who became sin so that we could become whole again and have life. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have life abundantly. See, Jesus calls us to walk in life and hope and freedom. He calls us to live a life full of joy and meaning. John 8.36 says, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if you want to be free, we're actually going to pray a prayer. Now, I have to be honest with you. If you pray this prayer, I can't promise you that life will be perfect all of a sudden or that things will be easy. Actually, in some ways, they might get harder. But I can promise that it's worth it. It's a life filled with hope, a life filled with joy, a life filled with peace, peace beyond anything you've ever understood even when you're going through crazy things. So we're going to pray a prayer, just a simple one. We could all just bow our heads. And uh, if you want to pray that, you can just repeat after me. So Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you've done for us. I ask you now to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and make me new. Thank you. Amen.